You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you'll be encouraged from this message from the book of Joel. Hi, church. Good morning. It is so good to, to see all of you here today and so good just to spend some time opening, opening up God's word with, with you uh, this morning. So Thursday marked kind of, kind of a special day. Um, Thursday was uh, June 25th, and you guys know what that means, right? That there are six months, yeah, I heard someone say, the six months till Christmas, yeah! COVID-19 has taken a lot of things this year, but Christmas is coming. So, we're, so we're, we're excited about that, and kind of kind of to celebrate, not really for that day or whatever, but as I was preparing this message, um, one of my favorite Christmas stories, and granted, there's a lot out there, a lot of movies have been made, you know, Hallmark Channel goes nuts around Christmas time, but one of my favorite Christmas stories is Charles Dickens's A Christmas Carol. Like, it's, it's an absolute classic. So on Thursday, I sat down and read the entire book. So I'm going to read this thing over again, because I was like, if I, if I use this as an illustration, I need, to re- I need to know exactly what happens. And so I, I did. I sat down and, and read it. And it is such a good book. I remember um, the first time I was ever exposed to The Christmas Carol. I was seven. And The Muppets Christmas Carol just came out. On, on, and it is really good. Yeah. It is, like, by far my favorite rendition of Charles Dickens' story. But for those of you who, you know, you probably remember the story. So the main character is who? Scrooge, yes, yeah. And on Christmas Eve, he's visited, he's visited by, by four ghosts. You think, wait, that, there's four. So the first one is, is Bob Marley, his, his old partner. And this is Bob Marley, the original Bob Marley, before like Rastafarian Bob Marley. This was the original Bob Marley. And so Bob Marley, he, his ghost visits Scrooge and says, listen, you're going to be visited by three other ghosts tonight. And, and they're all going to teach you a lesson. And so he's visited by the ghosts of Christmas uh, past and present, which show Scrooge that, listen, uh, that show that because of Scrooge's actions, um, because he's so dedicated to his work and so greedy and so selfish and so cold, he has missed out on certain things. Then, as you know, the last ghost that visits is who? The ghost of Christmas future. And, And he shows Scrooge what's going to happen if he continues living the same way he is right now. If he's only committed to his work, if he continues to be greedy, if he continues to be selfish, these things are going to happen. And Scrooge finds that he's going to die alone. All of his wealth that he has, you know, that he has accumulated is going to be stolen. And and because of his own selfishness, um, his, his clerk, Bob Cratchit, his son, Tiny Tim, is going to die because... Um, Scrooge isn't giving Bob the, the, the adequate wages to take care of his son. So the rest of the story goes, you know, Scrooge wakes up on Christmas morning and he is a changed man. Like he is generous. He goes and finds the biggest turkey and sends it to, to Bob Cratchit and his family. Um, he, he gives to the poor where, where the day before he kicked them out of his store. Um, he goes and has Christmas with his extended family, something that he has never done before. And, and the last thing Scrooge does is that when, when Cratchit comes in the next day, um, he gives him a large raise so that he's able to take care of his son, Tiny Tim. And again, 
He's thinking, what does this have to do with Joel? It's coming. You wait. It's coming. So the book of Joel, as we've seen over the last few weeks, the book of Joel is all about God calling his people to turn from their sin and turn back to him. It is a call for God's people to repent. And, and in chapter 1, God uses this locust plague, something that presently happens, natural disaster, much like this pandemic that we've been going through. God uses this locust plague to try to get his people's attention. He said, hey, listen, nothing like this has ever happened before. And so you need to realize that use this opportunity to get right with me. But like a lot of us, we're stubborn. And there are people here that have used this opportunity that we're in right now, this COVID-19 pandemic, to get things right with God. But there's other people who, who haven't taken that opportunity. And now life is kind of back to normal, and, and you might have missed that spot. And I think there is, there is a purpose and a reason why God is allowing our church to go through the book of Joel right now. Because in Joel chapter 2, much like that ghost of Christmas future, in Joel chapter 2, God gives the prophet Joel a vision of what is to come if his people do not turn from their sins. Now Joel chapter 2 verses 1 through 11 reveals, listen, three realities that God's people should expect if they do not turn from their sin. And listen, this book, Joel was written like 2,500 years ago to a people, to, to God's people, to the nation of Israel in a land halfway around the world. And it is easy to read this and say, well, this isn't for me today. It was for them. But listen, in these 11 verses, we're going to walk through today three things that whether you are a child of God from 2,000 years ago or a child of God sitting here at Grace Bible Church today, these things, these principles are true no matter what. So we're going, to, we're going to spend some time talking about the coming day of the Lord. So I'd invite you again to turn in your Bibles to Joel chapter 2. We're going to be focusing on verses 1 through 11 today. If you do not have a copy of Scripture, we'd invite you to take one of those Black Pew Bibles and turn to page 761, and you'll be able to follow along as we read and work through God's Word today. But before we get going, I just want to take a moment um, just to ask for God's blessing upon our time. Father God, Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity, Father, to open up your word and congregate together. It's good today to see people's faces, Father. And God, as we dig into what you had to say to your people so many years ago, uh, may our hearts, Father, just be sensitive, Lord, to what it could mean to, for our lives today. And we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. So church, we're going to walk through these pretty quickly today, but I want to show you again these three realities that if you, are running from, if you are running from God and leaning into your sin, this is what you can expect. And the first thing that, that Joel brings out is this idea that, listen, judgment will come. Judgment will come. Look, look with me for the, in the first couple verses here. It says, blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. So church, what, what is going on here when, when, when Joel says to sound, sound an alarm or blow a trumpet in Zion? 
he's basically, it would basically be like, like an, an air siren that we use today. When something is coming, when, any, when an emergency hits, those are when those things go off. And so what Joel is calling for the people of God to recognize that, listen, this is important. Something is about to happen here and that unless you change, judgment will come. Now, I, I want to focus just on, in verse, in verse 1, this, this phrase where it says, For the day of the Lord is coming, it is near. See, the day of the Lord is a time when God comes down, enters time and space, and brings judgment upon his people. And so what Joel is saying here, I want, I want you just to, just to focus on that, the, those terms, is coming and is near. What Joel is saying here, not that a judgment is already locked and loaded, it's coming no matter what, but Joel is saying, listen, it is near to happening. The conditions for God's judgment to come are ripe, and unless they change, judgment would come. And next week, we're going to see again, God graciously calling his people back to repentance. So he's saying, listen, it's not, it's not going to happen for sure right now. You still have time to repent of your sins. But if you do not repent, judgment will come. Church, let's be honest. It is so easy to think that we can get away with sinning. Especially when the first time that you sin, the first time that you disobey God, in whatever area you may be disobeying God in right now, if God doesn't bring punishment and judgment the first time you do something, the first lie that you tell, the first time that you spread gossip, gossip, the first time that you commit adultery, whatever it may be, if God doesn't punish you right away, there's something in our minds that thinks, I can actually get away with this, right? Growing up in, in southern Jersey, I had a lot of friends who owned, like, who owned farms. And, like, I'm, like, the least farm person you're ever going to meet or whatever. But back then, like, I thought it was cool. So we go, go over and visit my friend at this huge horse farm. And they had this one part of their farm where, at the moment, they, they weren't using. And so and it, they had an electric fence around that entire part. One time, I would just goof around and be like, I'm just going to try, try and, like, touch this thing. And I did. And nothing happened. I'm like, this is cool. And so I remember... Uh, my parents came over, and we're, we're all hanging out as a family together. And my, um, they had recently got, gotten some more horses. And so they were using that part of the pasture that they weren't using before. And I thought it would be funny to mess around with my parents and say, hey, guys, look at this. And I grabbed it with both hands, and it shocked the living daylights out of me. Like, knocked me off my butt kind of shocked. Over and over and over again, I touched that fence, and nothing happened. I thought, I thought I was in, the, in the, the clear there. But sooner or later, I touched that fence, and it destroyed me. And the crazy thing about God's judgment is that we do not know when it's going to come. But we know that it will. And so often we play and we gamble around with God because we think I can sin and get away with this and God isn't going to punish me. But we don't know when that punishment is going to come. And just because God didn't act right away doesn't mean that God isn't going to act at all. 2 Peter 3, 9 
kind of kind of touches base on this because there there were there were people in Peter's day that said, "I can do whatever I want, and God isn't going to judge me." Look, look at all the people that have come before me, and God hasn't brought judgment yet. But in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, it says, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. In verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night is what that whole portion says. Like, Listen, just because God hasn't brought judgment, that's a, that is a sign of his kindness towards you, that you would turn away from your sin on your own without you having to experience the judgment of God. But it doesn't, it doesn't mean that he will not bring that judgment. So if you are here today and you are running from God and, and living in your sin, recognize that sooner or later, judgment will come. And that was Joel's message, a beginning message to God's people 2,500 years ago. But it gets better. So in verses, in the rest of verse 2 all the way down through 10, God now describes what this judgment is going to look like. And this, this is a principle that, that holds true and it says, your strongholds are going to be conquered. And beginning, beginning at the end of verse, uh, verse 2, I just want to read what this judgment is going to look like. We're not going to read the whole thing, but I want, I want to show what exactly God had in mind. And in verse 2, the, the latter part of verse 2, it says, like, dark, like blackness there was spread upon the mountains, a great and powerful people like there like has never been before, nor will there ever be again through the years of all generations. And so God said, listen, locusts came and you did not change your ways. Now instead of bringing locusts, I'm going to bring an actual army to invade your land. And the rest of that portion here between 2 and 10 describes what that army is going to look like and what that army is going to do. Now, just for the sake of time this morning, I just want to bring out three things and kind of bring that and apply it to our lives today. In in, in verse 3, It says that the land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them it is a desolate wilderness. He said, listen, they're going to come, and you have all this fertile ground and all these crops, and it's going to look like the Garden of Eden before they get to it, but once they do and once they leave, it's going to be a desolate wilderness. There will be nothing left. And then it goes on, it says in verses 7 and 8, like, like warriors, they scale the wall, they burst through the defenses and are not halted. Once they get to the city, these walls that are supposed to protect them, these defenses that they have set up, none of that is going to matter. It says that instead of even weaving around them, they burst right through them. The power of this army is absolutely incredible. And then in verse 9 it says that these soldiers climb into the houses through the windows like a thief. That these soldiers, once they got inside the city, are going to enter into their personal homes and ransack it and take whatever they want. So when God's judgment comes, our strongholds are going to be conquered. Everything that the Jewish people found comfort, security, and stability in would be taken from them once the enemy invaded the fertile ground where they grew crops, where they provided for their families, their whole entire economy was based upon agriculture. All of that would be gone. The, these walls that, that would be around their city, 
these defenses that they had to keep enemies out, none of that would matter. Their very homes, their, their possessions, um, their, their safe place where they can go and find peace, none of that would be there any longer. You think, what does this have to do with where we are in Troop of Dunmore and Dixon City, Pennsylvania today? Let me, let me bring you out something here is that, listen, there is no safety net from God's judgment. See, all of us, we think that because we have our house in order, we think that because our bank account is fine, we think that because we have a steady job and a steady income and a padded retirement account, or we have a great support system of family and friends, or, or, or we're in good health, we think that if God's judgment comes, because we have all of those things, we're going to be fine. In Joel 2, 2 through 10, it is a reminder that, listen, all of these things that we think we have as a safety net, none of those are off limits to God. And all of us know of that person who is in perfect health and the next day dies of a heart attack. Uh, my, my grandparents were about to retire when, when the stock market crashed in 2008 and 2009, and they lost like 75% of their, of their retirement just like that. Our jobs are not secure. Scripture says that life is like a vapor. We, we cling to these things that are so fragile and at any moment can be gone like that. And so God reminds us that, hey, when judgment comes, nothing is off limits, and these safety nets, these strongholds that we cling to will all be gone. Hebrews 10, 31 says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Church, that's true. And when God comes to bring judgment, none of those things that we think can ever fall could possibly fall. So that has to be in the back of our minds. The last thing that we see from this portion this morning um, is found in, in verse 11. And this verse has caused many people to struggle. So I'm just going to read it and we're just going to process through it, through, through this together. So it says, the Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? See, the reason why so many people struggle with this verse, and it's a hard one to swallow, is that we think, well, well God's judgment is that he sent an army to invade. But verse 11 says what? That God is the one leading that army. God, the one that we expect to fight for his people at this very moment, is fighting against them. God is the one giving the orders to burn their crops. God is the one giving the orders to burst through their defenses. God is the one giving the orders to ransack their homes. And the question, the tension that we have as children of God is how can a loving God ever do such a thing to his own people? How can a loving God do something like this? And this third point I just want to bring out about God's judgment is that, listen, God's compassion 
will drive him to act. God's compassion and his love will drive him to bring judgment upon those who continue to live in their sin instead of repent of it. And the two things that, that I want you to that should help you process this, this statement is one is that while God is love, but he is not only love. See, when we think of God, it is so easy to, to take one attribute of God and lift it up above all the rest, is it not? Well, you know, I'm going to focus on God as love, or God is holy, and, or he's just, he's going to stand up for me. Or God is good, and God is kind. But the thing that happens is, is that when we only focus on one attribute of God, we do not get a full picture of who he is. A.W. Tozer, um, in, in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, which you have not, if you have not read, is an amazing, amazing book. But he says this, he says, Goodness, justice, and mercy are not a temporary mode of God, mood of God. They are a part of his eternal being. It's all of him. We destroy who God is if we deny all of his other attributes except or save one, and that one we substitute for God. So what we do, we take the attribute of God's love, we lift that up above all other else, and what happens is we do not have God anymore. We have love. And when we only have love and lift that up above everything else, we begin worshiping the emotion of love instead of worshiping the eternal God. See, God is love, but God is also holy, and God is also just, and God is also good and kind. And someone says it as if God is interacting as this one complete circle. And when God brings judgment, he's also bringing love. And when God bring, brings justice, he's also bringing goodness. You cannot have goodness without justice. You cannot have judgment without love. And so God is love, yes, but he's so much more than that. And because God loves us, that drives his action to bring judgment to us. See, the book of Joel and most of the Old Testament is built upon this covenant that God has made with his people in Deuteronomy 28, chapters 28 through 30. So if you haven't spent some time in that recently, especially in the book of Joel, I would encourage you to do that. So in, in Deuteronomy 28 through 30, God lays out this covenant with his people and says, hey, if you obey me, I will bless you. But if you disobey me, if you rebel against my commandments and my statutes, I will bring plagues of locusts. I will bring enemy invasions and all this stuff. And he just says, listen, I have put life and death in front of you today. It is your choice whether or not you're going to follow me or not. And if God, who, and if God doesn't keep his promises, if God didn't keep the covenant in chapters in Deuteronomy 28 through 30, then he wouldn't be just. And, that he, and then he wouldn't be trustworthy. If we cannot trust God to keep his covenant to God's people, the people of Israel, why should we then trust God to keep his covenant to us? That whoever believes in his son Jesus has eternal life. God has got to be just all of the time. And secondly, the second thing that, that I want you to understand about judgment is simply that God loves you too much to leave you in your sin. He loves you too much to leave you 
living in a life of sin. Uh, we're currently working on uh, my three oldest, Jackson, Madison, and McKenna. We're working on um, helping them ride their bikes around our block. So we're talking about on the sidewalk now, around other cars. And so, and it, it's like, it's crazy uh, stressful. But I, I was out there with, with one of them on Friday, and he wanted, he wanted, I just said, I'm sorry, my bad, Jackson. <laughs> but so Jackson, Jackson wanted to go across the street to, to the other sidewalk. And he never looked and just, boom, bolted, crossed. Thankfully, no cars were coming. But what kind of dad would I be if a car was coming and said, well, he did it to himself. It's over. And did nothing. Never screamed. Never tried to pull him back. Never tried to warn the other car that, that my son's out there. What kind of dad would I be if I just let them, if I just let them, especially at his age, make whatever choices he makes and never try to do anything about it? That, that's the same thing, that's the same way that we should view God. What kind of heavenly father would God be if he sees us in our sin and does nothing about it? But church, God loves us too much to leave us there. And we don't have time today, but if you want more details on that, look at, look at the book of Hebrews chapter 12, uh, especially verses about 6 through 10. Where, where it outlines God as a loving Heavenly Father will discipline those whom he loves. And God is not going to sit back and let us do whatever we want. He will chase after and do whatever it takes to bring him back to himself. And if you don't believe that to be true, think about the gospel. Where we are all dead in our trespasses and sin and God wanting to reconcile and bring us back to him did what? He sacrificed his only son, Jesus. He poured out all his wrath upon the cross of his only son who did nothing wrong. And if God is willing to sacrifice his own son so that we can be brought to him, you've got to think, what, what else is he willing to do to bring us back to himself even now? So church, the application today is, is real simple. I'm just going to let God's word speak for itself. Revelation chapter 3, verse 19. This is Jesus speaking. And it says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. This is, this is Christ's letter to, to a church. But this principle stands throughout time. That God is going to chase after those who are his, those whom he loves. And so our response should be, so instead of waiting for God's judgment to come, let's be zealous now, let's take it serious now and repent of our sin. Don't, don't wait. Don't wait and say, I'm going I'm to do it next year. I, I'm enjoying my sin now. Don't wait because we do not know when judgment will come. Don't wait and think, well, I have things under control. How much can God really do for me? Because remember Hebrews chapter 10, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And why would you risk God's judgment upon you now if you can only turn from your sin to a loving God who wants fellowship with you but wants to do it on his terms and he wants the very, very best for us? So as I just call Pastor Mike and the praise team up, I just want you to consider these few questions. One simply is, what sin are you holding on to today? 
What sin are you holding on to? Even now and saying, you know, up to this point, I wanted to do my way instead of God's way. Maybe today is the day that you repent of that sin and turn away from it. Or simply, are you willing to take the risk of continued disobedience to a loving God, but he wants, but who is zealous for you and will do whatever he can to get you back? So may, maybe today, maybe even right now, you take that time to have that conversation with God to repent of your sin, or maybe you do it later on today, but do not wait. Be zealous and repent of your sin today, because God loves you, and he will chase after you. Church, let's pray. Father, God, I, I thank you, Lord, for, for Joel chapter 2. And God, just for the reminder, God, of your great love for us. And you don't judge us out of hatred. You don't judge us because you take pleasure in it. Father, you judge us, Father, because you love your people so much. And so, God, I pray for those here today, God, that you would work in their hearts, that you would lead them to repentance God, that, that your kindness, as it says in, in Romans chapter 2, would lead them back to turning away from their sin and turning back to you, God, today. Because God's judgment is real, and judgment is promised for those who live continually in their, in their unbelief and disobedience. But God, I pray, Lord, that we would work beforehand and repent and turn back to you. And we ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.